I'm super excited to, to wrap up our teaching series called Here Comes the Dreamer. We've, we've been in this series now for the past few weeks, and it's about the, the life of a man named Joseph. And if you're new to uh, Bell Shoals, you're, you're watching with us for the first time today or here at the Brandon campus for the first time today, you picked a great week to come because we're, we're wrapping up this incredible story uh, of a man named Joseph and his family, which by all accounts was dysfunctional. <laughs> Joseph grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family, a, a rather broken family. And, and yet, despite the brokenness of his family and the brokenness of really his, his own life and his story and his suffering, we, we've seen God bring something beautiful out of their brokenness. And, and that's how God works. It reminds me of something I, I actually learned about a few years ago. It's, a, it's like a Japanese art form called kintsugi. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of this or you've seen this, but it, it's an amazing art form where, where people take like broken pieces of pottery or like broken bowls and instead of just tossing them in a trash can, there, there's a method of kind of seaming them back together and creating a product that is more beautiful in its brokenness than it was in its original state. Uh, I brought a picture with me uh, today of a bowl uh, that's, that's considered, this is kintsugi art. And, and you can see here, like if that's a bowl in my kitchen that falls and breaks, I just have my kids sweep it up and put it in the trash can. That's one of the reasons you have kids. Okay, if you don't have kids yet, they you have them sweep the floor and they put, they put it in the trash can, right? And, and, and in, our, in our society, typically, like when something breaks, we just throw it away and then we go to what God has given us for the reordering of stuff that's called Amazon and we just get another one, right? Well, what I love about Kintsugi, you can see here, there's an entire art form where like you take something that's broken and, and then when you piece it back together, it's actually, it's an amazing process where you incorporate the damage into the aesthetic of the restored item, making it a part of the object's history. And to, and to do this, there's a lacquer resin that's used that's mixed with like powdered gold or silver or platinum or copper or bronze, resulting in something that's far more beautiful than the original, as you can see here. And there's some very uh, expensive kintsugi pieces where you're taking gold and mixing it in. And again, you have something that's more beautiful in its restoration than it was originally. And I think that's a wonderful picture of the story of Joseph. We started out on this journey tracking a, a young man and a family that again was largely dysfunctional. And we saw a lot of brokenness, a lot of messed up stuff in the life of this young man and his family. But again, we've seen God working and moving to bring just this incredible beauty out of that brokenness. Well, let me just remind you kind of where we've been here. We, we started with this situation of, of Joseph's father, his name was Jacob, really favoring Joseph. Because if, if you recall, or if you're new to the story here for the first time today, Joseph grew up in a family where he was the 11th born son. So his father, Jacob, had 11 sons. And this is a hierarchical society, which meant that like the firstborn son had two thirds of the inheritance, would have the family blessing to perpetuate it on. And then every brother from there was kind of like more significant than the one after, you know, like it, it, the society was very different than ours. And, and so that meant that number 11 comes along in Joseph and like he's, he's the youngest, he's the least in the pecking order and... You know, the olders are the 
are the more important brothers. Well, the, the issue is Joseph's father, Jacob, had sons with two wives and then two other women that weren't his wives. So four different women. Did I mention there was some brokenness here? Okay. And, and the woman that he actually truly loved, who's, who's unique to him, she has finally late in life a son to Jacob and that's Joseph. So he's actually the firstborn son of the woman that he truly loved. And, and then here's what happens, Genesis 37, remember? Jacob therefore loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So check this out. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe or a coat of many colors, some, some kind of garment that was incredibly valuable and that communicated his worth. So in other words, what's happening here is you've got all these older brothers and, and they're all kind of passed over because of Joseph and their father's favoritism of Joseph. So like Jacob's taking Joseph shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue and everybody else is getting a few items from Goodwill. You know, like Jacob's at home with Joseph all day playing Call of Duty and all the brothers are out working. And then what makes it worse, if you remember, if you've been tracking with us, Joseph is actually sent around as the youngest to check up on all the work of the older brothers. So he's just a spoiled brat as a teenager and he's favored. He's walking around with this coat and, and it's just a mess. And so the brothers hate him. They despise him. You can see why. And so one day they have this brilliant idea when Joseph was sent around to check on them again. They said, okay, we've had enough of this. Let's just kill the dude. And then they're talking themselves out of that. So they throw him in a pit. They go have lunch. They're listening to him scream and beg for his life. They're, they're eating, apparently no indigestion here. That's how much they hate him. And then they decide, okay, let's not kill him, let's sell him. So they sell him as a slave. Joseph's taken off into Egypt. They take his coat back to his father. Hey, Joseph was tragically killed. And for all the father knows, his beloved son is no more. And Joseph goes through this season of immense suffering where we're gonna find God's taken this now broken man and God's gonna work with him and he's gonna make something beautiful. Because Joseph begins to learn that God is with him in all of these tragic circumstances. And so here's what's happening. Joseph is, is sold as a slave in Egypt and he goes to a guy's house named Potiphar who was like the joint chief of staff, right? He was like very prominent in Pharaoh's uh, governmental system. And so therefore Joseph's in his house and he, and he rises in prominence. He has like this incredible rise where now he's, he's overseeing the entire house for Potiphar. And, and, and the scripture says that Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. That word handsome, there's the same word that was used of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, that she was beautiful, same word, Joseph's beautiful or handsome and, and well-built and, and Potiphar's wife, check this out, soon began to look at him lustfully, come sleep with me, she demanded. And so, so he's had this fall, sold as a slave and then he starts to rise in prominence in Potiphar's house, but then Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. And she walks in one day with a low cut top and tight jeans and leopard skin, high heels. And she says, hey man, you like, today's the day. And, and, and what we learn is that Joseph has such a love for God at this point. He's like, no, I can't do that. And so she falsely accuses him, has him sent to prison, but he just ends up in the, happens to end up in the same prison where all of Pharaoh's prisons are kept. And then, so he goes through, he's, he's there more than two years 
And he meets these guys who have dreams. He interprets their dreams. God gave them that ability. And then one of them ends up in front of Pharaoh who has a dream two years later. And he's like, oh yeah, I remember this guy who interpreted my dream in prison. His name is Joseph. He's a Hebrew. And so Joseph's brought before Pharaoh, interprets the dream. And in essence, tells Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of abundant harvest and then seven years of famine. And we better be saving up during the harvest to cover ourselves in the famine. And Pharaoh says, you're the guy to make it happen. And so literally Joseph is promoted to be in essence, the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. And again, we see another rise here. We've seen a, a rise early in his life, favored son, a fall he sold as a slave, a rise in Potiphar's house, a fall he's falsely accused and languishing in prison, a rise now, in Egypt, he's the second in command and he's in charge of providing and distributing grain during these times of drought and famine. And guess who shows up one day? His brothers from Canaan. And they get to Joseph and, and he recognizes them because, you know, they look pretty much the same. Of course, he looks radically different. And and, and so there's this exchange where finally, like he, he can't handle it anymore. And he, he tells them, hey, listen, I am Joseph, your brother. I'm the one you sold as a slave in Egypt. But it's, he's like, but it's okay. Because do you remember this? He, he said, God sent me to Egypt. Not you sent me to Egypt. No, 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 no. God ultimately sent me here. And so it's okay. I, I see what God is doing. And he gives food to his family. He sends it home to his father. Eventually he brings his father and his entire family into Egypt. And he's providing for them. And you would think the story ends there and it's all good, but it, it doesn't because Joseph's brothers remain continuously fearful that at some point he's going to enact revenge. Isn't it amazing how dysfunction always breeds more dysfunction? They are still so personally troubled by what they did to their brother that they're just convinced he's gonna enact revenge, even though he's told him he's not going to. And so here's what happens. They, they're very, very worried that when their father dies, that's when Joseph's gonna get his revenge. He's like, he won't do anything while dad's still alive because he wouldn't wanna harm our father. But man, when dad dies, there's no telling what he's gonna do to us. And they're just, they're, they're perpetually fearful. And, and so Jacob eventually dies. Let me show you what happens here in Genesis 50, okay? This is, this is an incredible conclusion to what's happened here. And it says, now after they buried their father, Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful again. And they said, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. Again, they just didn't get it. And, and so they sent this message to Joseph. Notice these schemers are still scheming. They said, um, excuse me, Joseph. <clears throat> if you recall, before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. I am highly skeptical that conversation took place. <laughs> But do you see how they're still scheming here? They're so afraid. Again, dysfunction breeds dysfunction. And they, the, the, the weight of guilt for what they did to Joseph is still prevalent in their lives. And, and so, hey, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin and treating you so cruelly. So they say, we are the servants of the God of your father and we beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, check this out, he broke down and he wept. Like they, these guys just don't get it, you know? Like they don't get it. 
And then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. And they said, look, we are your slaves, they said. And Joseph said, check this out. Do not be afraid of me. Am I God? Or literally, am I in the place of God that I can punish you? In other words, he's like, vengeance is not my business. <laughs> that belongs to the Lord. I'm not in the place of God. And so he says, you intended, check this out, amazing statement, familiar to many of you, but I love it. He says, you intended harm to me, but God intended it for good. And he brought me into this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And so no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. And I'm just amazed how God has worked in the life now about 13 or 14 years. Okay, it's taken a while. But how God has worked in the life of this young man, this once spoiled brat, to, to where now as the prime minister of Egypt, he says with such wisdom and such godliness and such grace, what you intended as evil or to harm, God intended as good to bring about the saving of many lives. What tremendous growth in Joseph. And what, what tremendous wisdom and grace. And, and it's a reminder to us, really to all of us, in every season of change, in seasons of suffering and hardship, of trial. Listen, in the unknown periods of life where we're, we're asking God for clarity and wisdom, listen, Joseph's example is a reminder to us that the most important thing during these times of hardship, suffering is not who or what is against us, but who is with us. Who is with us, who is for us. That's the most important thing. The most important thing for us to remember in times of hardship and suffering and doubt and, and, and confusing or questioning is not who or what is against us, but who is for us and who is with us. And, and Joseph learned this, you guys. He learned this while he was sitting in prison. He learned this as, as he was promoted through Potiphar's house. He learned this, that God is always with him. Do you remember what the scripture says? Genesis 39, 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Even after he went to prison, falsely accused. What does the scripture say? The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and he showed him his faithful love. You know what Joseph learned? That God is always with us. He learned that the most important thing in these seasons of hardship and suffering is not who or what is against us, but who is with us and who is for us. And in order for us to navigate these seasons of trial and hardship and uncertainty the way Joseph did, there's just a few final takeaways as we kind of take all this into account. There's, there are a few takeaways I, I wanna leave with you. First of all, let me just encourage you with this. In times of hardship or suffering, your progress is tied to your perspective. Your progress is tied to your perspective. I just cannot emphasize this enough. What led Joseph from a position where he was the spoiled, arrogant teenager to a wise and a gracious and a godly leader? What, what got him from A to B? Well, it was, it was this hardship, this suffering, this 
dependency upon the Lord. And it was, it was a growing perspective. Here's what Joseph learned, a growing perspective that God is always at work in ways that we cannot fully see or understand. I'm gonna show you in a minute. Joseph doesn't like minimize his suffering. Joseph doesn't minimize his hardship. Joseph does not minimize the evil actions of his brothers. No, he went through some very, very difficult times. But he came to understand that what he could see in terms of his circumstances was so limited compared to what God could see and what God was doing. That's why he says, did you catch this in Genesis 50? Did you catch this in this last conversation with his brothers? Did you catch it when he said, am I in the place of God? What is he saying there? He's like, I've come to understand there, there is something bigger happening here in terms of how God's navigating my life and God's navigating ultimately his plans and his purposes for Israel and for Egypt and for the world. God's got a plan. God has a purpose. God is completely in control of all things. And, 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 he's, and he's accomplishing his plans and his purposes. And, and Joseph's like, I'm not in the place of God. I can't judge you. I can't, I, 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 I can't uh, seek out my own vindication here. I'm not, I'm not gonna take your lives into my hands the way you took my life into yours. No, God's in control here. I'm not in the place of God. And that is such a helpful reminder to us that we will never see the full perspective of what is happening in our lives and our circumstances. But God does. I tell you, until you become a parent, you know, it's hard to really appreciate the power of perspective, right? When you, when you have a, a, a toddler, you have an adolescent, you need, you, you've got a young child that, that you're leading and guiding, you know, it's, it's fun to, to see how, how your children grow and, and how they achieve a broader perspective as they mature. You know, when they're little, they don't understand things that you understand. What to them seems cruel or mean or trivial to you, you know, no, that's important. I remember one, one time, one of my daughters was, was critically ill and uh, I, I remember I, I rushed her to the ER and I got her at our children's hospital and, and, and I took her in. And of course, you know, like I'm with her the whole time. Dad's with her the whole time, holding her, comforting her. I'm encouraging her. I'm doing what every good dad does on the way to the hospital. I'm promising ice cream, right? I'm like, we're gonna get whatever you want. You want that banana split? This is the time. Just hang in there with me, right? And so we get into the ER and they take her in. They start working on her. And, and, I, and I'll never forget, I'll just never forget this moment where where they came over and they began to treat her and, and she had to have a, a shot. And, and it was um, a, a means of really preserving her life at the time. And, 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 and I'll never forget, you know, I, I love all of you who are medical professionals. You do such an amazing job being calm and cool and making things seem like it's not a big deal when it is a big deal. But, but the needle thing, I don't know. How y'all hide that needle? And then when it comes out, it's like, shing. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, where'd that thing come from? And, and, uh, and, they, and, and we got to the point where they had to give her the shot and they came over and I, had, and I had to hold her down. And the look of betrayal on her face. <laughs> I will never forget the way she looked at me. I mean, the whole time is ice cream and banana splits and daddy's here and no, I'm not going anywhere. And, 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 and in just a moment's time, I went from her chief encourage her to an accomplice of what was happening. <laughs> She's like, you're in with all of these people. Well, yeah, honey, you, you need something that you don't want. 
but it's a, it's a necessity. It could even save your life. And you know, when, you, when you're blessed with children that way, you know, you can see, you can see how, you know, at a certain point in life, okay, I see, you know, maybe your kids, there's, I see 5% of the pie. Okay, I've grown, I've seen 10% of the pie. Okay, I see 15% of the pie. And, and you know what's true? Listen, if you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, you know what the reality is? We will never, ever, ever, even in adulthood, see 100% of the pie. And we just have to keep this perspective that our God is in control he has a plan and a purpose. And there is nothing that comes into our lives that's not first filtered through his hands of providence. We are not in the place of God. And so I love this, that, that Joseph has this perspective where, where, where it's, it's broad now and he's, been, he's able to look back on his life and, and see how God has been at work through his promotion, through his imprisonment and all of the rest. Soren Kierkegaard said it this way, I love it. He said, life can only be understood backward, but it must be lived forward. And that's right. And so in times of hardship and suffering, we remember who is with us and therefore our progress is tied to our perspective. Secondly, listen, this, this, this is huge. We, we see here in this story that, that we have a person who's actually better than Joseph and his name is Jesus. Man, what's all this teaching us? Well, we see the, the power of perspective, but listen, you know what else we see? We see Joseph pointing us forward to someone better whose name is Jesus and that Jesus is a better Joseph. We actually see in the entire story of Joseph, a foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus. It's actually pretty profound and amazing. I mean, the significance of Joseph's life is, is evident just in the number of chapters that he takes up. Almost 25% of the entire opening book of the Bible is dedicated to Joseph. Why? Because this Story, Joseph's life is pointing us forward to another life, the life of Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus suffered through no fault of his own? Jesus was betrayed by his brothers. Do you realize that Jesus was raised from the pit and exalted now to the highest place in the land? Do you realize that Jesus, like Joseph, doesn't use his power to condemn or to take revenge, but to save? And even now rejoices when people are reconciled to himself. Listen to me very, very carefully. Jesus is the point of the entire story. Jesus is the point of human history. <laughs> and, and we don't want to look at Joseph and just see the power of perspective here. No, we want to see the power of a perspective that's tied to a faithful God who is with us and who is for us. And what's the profound, the most profound way that we see that God is with us and for us? It's in the ministry of Jesus. The main point of Joseph is, is, is not to amaze you with this man's incredible faith or, or, or with his actions or try to say to you guys, you know what, if you just avoid the aggressive women in your life, one day you'll become the vice president of the United States. <laughs> now, this isn't just some moral book trying to encourage you. No, 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 this is a story, a history that's pointing us forward to a man who will come and live and die and suffer and achieve salvation through his suffering, just as Joseph did, but in a more profound way. No, 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 Joseph's pointing us to the fact that no, God is always with us and he's with us most acutely through the person of Jesus. That's the greatest evidence 
that God is always with you. And so let me, let me wrap up with this. Final takeaway here, this Jesus, this one who came as a better Joseph, check this out, he, he always brings salvation out of suffering to his people. He brings salvation out of suffering. Now listen, we, we go through some really tough seasons of life. I appreciate the fact that Joseph doesn't just look at his brothers and say, hey, fellas, no big deal. It was just, you know, when, 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 when you sold me as a slave, hey, just a little case of sibling rivalry. No big deal. I'm over it. <laughs> no, it wasn't just a little sibling rivalry, okay? It was much more significant than that. No, he owns it. What does he say? He says, what you did to me was evil. It was evil. It wasn't just sibling rivalry, it was horrific, it was evil. But what you meant for evil and what you did for evil, God has turned it for good. See, Joseph understood how bad things were during the lowest moments of his suffering. He knew the, the hardship. I mean, listen, that's true for us. God, and certainly Joseph here in the narrative, is not minimizing the hardship and the suffering that we endure. Now, there are seasons of life that are incredibly difficult. But, but here's the truth and the hope that we have. Our, our God is always with us. That's the most important thing during these seasons of life. Not who or what is against us, but who is for us and who is with us. Who is for us and who is with us? Jesus, who is a better Joseph. How does Jesus help us? Because he works to bring salvation through our suffering. That's how he works. Fast forward to, to the ministry of another guy who encountered incredible opposition and hardship. His name is Paul. <laughs> Remember him? Paul went through incredible difficulty. He doesn't minimize it, but let me show you what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. I love this. He says, but we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, we're facing hardship and persecution and suffering and difficult seasons. He says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Some of you are thinking, oh, really? My trouble doesn't seem small. My hardship doesn't seem small. Hey, Paul's with you. His hardship wasn't small either. If you read about his life, he faced immense hardship. But listen, he's not saying that our hardships are, are small. He's saying in comparison, check this out, in comparison to what we face in the future, they seem small because they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. He's saying in comparison to the glory that awaits us, in comparison to what God is building in us and through us to prepare us for this eternal glory, man, these troubles that we have, they seem so hard. They are so hard at times. But in comparison to what God is doing and what God is preparing, they just last a little while. And so he says this, look at this. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen for the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. Amen. Man, this is our hope. Our hope is that no matter what we're facing, the most important thing is not who or what is against us, but who is with us and who is for us. That gives us a perspective to see, no, God, I trust you that you are for me. You're with me. You're working all things for the good of those who love you and trust you. God, you're working, even when I don't fully understand in my finite mind and my limited perspective, God, I don't fully understand in my hurt, but I trust that you're working. You're with me. You're for me because you've given me Jesus, a better Joseph who himself has suffered for me and is bringing 
salvation out of his suffering and he will bring salvation out of mine. This is the power of our great God. That's why Paul says we don't give up. We don't give up. Even when the outward is, is being destroyed, no, God's doing a great work in, in our soul, in our spirit. And, and he's preparing a glory for us that when we see it, we'll make all of our other hardship and suffering just seem momentary and light. Because Jesus secures eternal glory for you and me and all who believe in him today. How? Through his suffering. He's a better Joseph. And this glory that we're looking forward to, what, what kind of glory is prepared for us and who's gonna be there? Hey, we, we don't have to wonder. Listen, John, another follower of Jesus, had a vision of heaven. And, and let, me just, let me remind you of what he saw there. I love this. He says, I, I see a vision of heaven. I saw a scroll on the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne and there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel. I love that. Are there any other types of angels? <laughs> I saw a, a mighty angel, he says, who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open it up? And there's this great anticipation, but then this devastation, he says, but there was no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was able to open the scroll and read it. And so John says, I began to weep bitterly. I wept bitterly because no one was worthy to open the scroll and read it. But then one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping for look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. This lion, this one in David's stead who comes ultimately, guess what? Through Joseph's family tied to Abraham, right? He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then check this out. I saw an avenger. I saw a mighty, no, 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 no. I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. A lamb slaughtered, bleeding, broken. And it was standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out on every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp. I don't know why, but harps are very popular in heaven. And they held gold bowls, check this out, filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You think God's not listening? You think God's God's not caring? You think God's not making note of everything you pray to him and call out to him for when you're suffering? He has every prayer. He is fully invested in you, yes. And here it is now. And, and they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from where? Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom and a priest for our God, and they will reign on the earth. How does God bring salvation to us? I'll tell you how. Through a lamb slain for our sin. This Jesus, who's a better Joseph, betrayed, suffered, 
endured for the saving of many lives. So that when you look at your life and you say, you know what? I've got some broken pieces here. Sin, rebellion, disobedience, like dysfunction. You know what my testimony is? God's taken those pieces and he's put them back together. So now there's a greater beauty than was ever there before. You say, how does God do that with our lives? You know what? He uses something better than gold, better than silver, better than platinum. You know how God brings these broken pieces of our lives and he heals them together? He uses the blood of a lamb. Because Jesus endured ultimately death for our sin in our place. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered death and sin and hell. And so we looked at God today through Jesus. Guess what? He brings salvation through our suffering. And that can be true for you. It's true for me. That's the power of our God to work. Because our God is always leading us toward a greater purpose and a greater glory. The most important thing in these seasons of doubt and hardship is not who or what is against us, it's who is with us and for us. And that's Jesus who has suffered for you and who has conquered for you. And so there's nothing in your life that's without a purpose. Reminds me of an experience Corey Ten Boom had. You, you may have heard of her. She was um, just an amazing godly woman that survived a concentration camp at the height of World War II. And um, she was in a horrific situation in a concentration camp with her family. She had a sister named Betsy that she loved. And you can imagine just the horrors they endured, the shame, the embarrassment. And um, on one occasion, they were struggling with fleas in this, in this particular concentration camp. There was just an infestation of fleas. And her sister Betsy, kept saying, Corey, just be thankful. God's with us. Just be thankful. And Corey Ten Boom made this statement to her sister. She says, I don't think God can ever make me thankful for a flea. <laughs> I'm with Corey Ten Boom on that. <laughs> and then by her own testimony, which you can read, it's amazing. She says a few weeks passed and then, um, you know, they were, these believers were gathering for secret worship, even in these concentration camps. And, and they would gather, of course, at, at the risk of their lives. And and they noticed as they were gathering, Corey Tenboom, she noticed that like the guards would largely leave them alone in their gatherings. And it was fascinating to her. And then one day it hit her that the German guards weren't coming around in these small groups of worship because they didn't want fleas. And Corey Tenboom later said, I learned to thank God even for a flea. And some of you are here today. You're like, I don't think I could ever thank God for fill in the blank. <laughs> and there are specific areas of hardship and suffering, you know, in and of themselves, we would not thank God for it. But, but we have a greater promise, don't we? That even in the difficulty of the hardship, even in like what Joseph refers to as something that's evil, we know that God is working through his children to bring about good because he is with you and he is for you. 
Say, how do I know he's with me and he's for me? Because we have a better Joseph. We have Jesus, a lamb slain before the foundation of the world whose blood brings healing and restoration so that we look at the end of our lives and we see what? You know what? We see something that's more beautiful than it was at the beginning.